to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. I'm Jenna. And I'm Mark. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode. Jenna, it's a party in here today. I know, this is fun. This is one of our largest groups. This is our largest group that isn't a Fiona episode related. Yeah, I think that's going to make for a great time. We're being joined here to talk about training and operant conditioning and animal welfare and birds in general. You know I love birds, so I'm super pumped about this episode. We're being joined by Ellen Yardley and Sarah Paese, who are members of our Animal Ambassador team. They're keepers over there. And we're also being joined by uh, Carrie Ann Bowlerjack, who's a trainer on the Wings of Wonder team. So thank you guys so much for joining us. We appreciate you taking your time out of the day. Yeah, exactly. This is like a multi-departmental one. I don't know if we've had one of those yet. I don't know. We're breaking all kinds of grounds. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I like the group ones. It's fun. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys for being here. Uh, we always start off by having our guests introduce themselves and tell us how you kind of got into this job. If you have any special story you want to share, that's great. Sometimes it's like, yes, just like everyone else, I wanted to be an animal <laughs> person my whole life or whatever. But we'll start with you, Ellen. All right. Yeah, so my name's Ellen. Um, I've been at the zoo for probably about five years now. I started out at the Animal Ambassador team um, as an intern and kind of bopped around a few different departments. So I got to be with the uh, um, elephants, rhinos, insect, and um, birdhouse. So I um, got to learn a lot from everybody there. But um, fell in love with the animal ambassadors, so that was where I stayed. <laughs> Did you grow up thinking you would be a zookeeper or like anything specific? Yeah, well, I've always known I wanted to work with animals and grew up watching Animal Planet and just idolizing everyone on there. And but I'm like, that could never happen, no way. <laughs> and then I found the zoo and totally fell in love. So awesome, very cool. What about you, Sarah? Um, I actually started my love of birds with an ornithology class in college. I knew I wanted to work with animals, but knew very little about the job opportunities available in the field. Um, so I started with environmental education and taking care of their ambassador raptors, which then led to a bird show, which then led to a full-time keeper position, and that brought me here. Um, taking care of our animal ambassadors and really focusing on our birds and bird training especially. Where did you go to school and where were you a zookeeper before you came here? I was I went to University of Wisconsin-Madison okay. up in um, Madison, Wisconsin and then I came from Tanganyika in Wichita, Kansas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And this is the only department you've worked in at RZU, right? Yes. Just in the animal ambassador yep, team? Yep, okay. I came in here. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, so I um, I always loved birds as a kid. Uh, we had a next-door neighbor who was a bird rehabber, so uh, she was awesome and always let me peek my head in there, and it was just so neat. Um, and I just thought, you know, taking care of birds, training birds, was something that could have been a hobby and not really a career. Um, so I ended up going to college for audio-video production. Oh. Nothing to do with animals at all. <laughs> um, and I loved it, but I quickly found out that it was not, uh, that was the hobby. That was not a career for really, me. Really? Gosh. I mean, I would, I would yeah. think it would be, like, tons of opportunities, but animal stuff, there's... Yeah, like there's there, were, there were very few um, opportunities, and I quickly found out I would probably have to move to areas that I didn't want to move to to take on that job. Um, and I started here at the zoo in the Wild Encounters team, actually, in 2015. Um, and it was awesome. I got to work with a bunch of different animals and really speak to the public, which is one of my favorite things about it. Um, the animal's always the main focus, which is great, but then you kind of get to sneak in all the good stuff that you want people to know. Um, and then from there, yeah, I ended up doing a seasonal position at the bird show, went back to Wild Encounters, and then uh, a seasonal in the Animal Ambassador team, and that's where I got my first full-time position here. And it was great. So many cool animals to work with. Uh, but then a spot opened up at the bird show, and I had watched... Um, I'd watched that since I was a kid. I've been in that theater as a kid, 
Uh, so I definitely jumped on it and that's where I am now and it's been great. I've been there for just over two years. That's awesome. I think we should take a tally sometime of how many of us started either in Wild Encounters or the Ambassador <laughs> team. <Yes. laughs> it's like a good majority of the keepers yeah. that we interview. But it is awesome to get tons of different, a wide range of experience. Um, but so Carrie Ann and Sarah kind of focus more on birds. Ellen, do you have like a favorite or a focus area? Oh, birds and reptiles are oh, okay. yeah, a big one for me. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, we, we have so much to cover. But I think, let's start, Carrie Ann, tell us about Reggie and like what kind of bird he is and just his natural history or any fun facts about him. Yeah, so Reggie is a 40-something-year-old sulfur-crested cockatoo. Um, Reggie was already an adult when he came to the zoo in 1979. Um, so he's at least 45, maybe 50 years old by now. Um, and he came from California, uh, Gary Denzler, who started uh, the bird show. He's the one who went and got Reggie and brought him here. And he is full of personality. He's one of our favorite birds um, he is an OG uh, down there <laughs> at the Wings of Wonder, which is awesome. So he's been there since the very start. What's their lifespan usually? So cockatoos live a really long time. So they can live, especially here at the zoo, up to 80 years old, um, sometimes longer than that. So uh, hopefully he's going to be an extra long time resident. Um, and being in his mid-40s now, you would never know it, though. Um, he has a ton of personality. He's got some vocalizations that he likes to spit off. He has a really cute dance um, <laughs> that he does. Um, and yeah, I mean, throughout the day, he loves chewing on stuff. He's a pretty picky eater, which is common with cockatoos, so that can be challenging sometimes. What is What does he normally eat? What does his diet consist of, and what are his favorites? Yeah, so if it's not, like, something sweet or, like, uh, <laughs> usually, like, we call it junk food, but it's not. It's kind of like his pellet or, like, his, his main thing that gives him all his nutrition. He will eat that, but trying new foods is really hard. If it's green, it's out. We're not eating it. Uh, no kale, no lettuce. Uh, cucumbers, maybe, but he really likes, like, banana and apple. Um, he'll try some fresh berries now and then, uh, but again, super picky, and if he doesn't like it, he just eats it out of the bowl, uh, <laughs> he waits for you to bring him something else, so, um, he, yeah, again, he's super fun, uh, he's one of those birds, he'll, like, come to the front of his home, um, and interact and kind of whistle and do his cute little talk to, to new people who walk into the building, um, but he's had some different various jobs, so Reggie's also had some really interesting, uh, behavioral changes I guess throughout his life. He had a time where um, he was doing the, the show for a while and then other times where um, he was even like pulling at his feathers or plucking which is a really big issue with birds and so many people spent a long time trying to figure out how to get that to stop and change it and Reggie kind of solved that himself which I think we'll talk about here in a few. Uh, but he has a big personality and he's definitely one of our favorites at the show. Can you describe to our mm -hmm. listeners like what he looks like, his coloration? Yeah so he is probably 12 inches tall or so. Um, he's all yellow. Cockatoos are super dusty, so anytime they shake their feathers or if you're just around them, uh, you will see the aura of their dust floating around. And then he has a nice yellow crest on the top of his head. Uh, cockatoos are so animated, so it's constantly up and down. He's bouncing around. Um, and yeah, and then he's got really googly, beady eyes, which <laughs> kids like to point out. They always ask why the cockatoos have googly eyes. Uh, they What's do. Your answer? Well, I, yeah, I just say they do. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's different than like the macaws in the Amazon. You can see the color of their eyes. But Reggie, it's it's literally two black dots on the side of his face that look like they're looking everywhere. <laughs> Did you say where um, he's from? Where they're found in the so, wild? So yeah, they're found from Australia. So sulfur-crested cockatoos. There's actually a few different kinds. So he's one of the smaller ones. Um, but yeah, they're usually found around Australia. Awesome. awesome. That's probably the most relatable thing I've ever heard about Reggie. He likes to eat sweets. <laughs> yeah. And if you bring him something bad, Kale. he just throws uh, it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are not gonna have it. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's a little bit about Reggie. Awesome. awesome. And then, so we are going to get into two amazing success stories that these two teams have done with their birds. But first, we want to tell you about Reggie. And now, Harley, if you two want to tell us a little bit about Harley's backstory. Take it away. All right. Yeah, so Harley, um, he's 21 years old. He's a blue and gold macaw. Um, he's been here for about 17 years. Um, so before he was at the zoo, he was someone else's pet. Um, but they realized quickly that blue and gold macaws do not make good pets, or really any parrots. Um, um, they live a very long time, or very destructive and very intelligent. It's kind of like having a toddler that lived to be 70 years old. As you say, I've so, heard like the yeah. staff room, it's like basically having a toddler in your house with that same intelligence, but for 70 years. Yes, <laughs> yes, we love him to death. Though. And also yeah. have very destructive beaks and yes. large talents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 enrichment and yes. interaction. Yes, for sure. Yeah, they're expensive to take care of. Mm -hmm. um, they like certain people and not other people's, and they're very loud. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't even, yeah, we haven't even mentioned that part where, yeah, one of these birds in your house will probably uh, drive damaged. you crazy pretty quickly yeah. after being loud. <laughs> so tell us some about where Harley comes from and what um, blue and golds like to eat and that sort of thing. Well, Harley's diet um, sounds really similar to Reggie's. He's got a couple different parrot pellets he gets throughout the week and then every day he gets a fruit and a vegetable. Um, we try to prep it in larger pieces. His pellet comes really small so we'll give him larger bits of produce so he can kind of play with them, manipulate them as he eats them. Um, he loves shelled nuts to break open all of that or yeah, he loves, loves to crack those open, and that's always a fun thing to also show kids, like have them try to squeeze it and then hand it to Harley, and in a second, he just snaps it open, so um, that is our biggest reinforcer that we use, okay. he loves that, um, but yeah, pretty similar diet. Yeah, outside of... Obviously, the training that we're going to talk about is a huge part of their enrichment and the way we keep them stimulated, but do Reggie and Harley have any favorite, like, toys or enrichment items that they enjoy to interact with? Ooh, that's tough. Um, <laughs> Reggie's, I think he's kind of just like a, a little chewing machine. Um, he loves, like, any type of cardboard or wood in his house that he can just nibble on constantly throughout the day. So we'll come in in the morning and there's just a pile of shredded cardboard, or cardboard underneath him. Um, so I think that's probably his favorite. And then he also really likes to watch movies. Um, so we have a, really a, a vast, <laughs> we do, we have a vast DVD collection, uh, that started just for Reggie. We have like a couple hundred movies oh now. Oh my gosh. What's his um, favorite? Do you know? Can you tell? It's yeah, it is really, um, basic, but he loves the movie Rio. I think it's just because it's the, <laughs> the colorful, uh, you know, birds on the screen and the music and it's really upbeat. A lot of our birds really like that, but anything animated, uh, he's really good about. He likes those. <laughs> I'm trying to come chill with Reggie one day. Yeah. We get some snacks. We really watch some yeah, that yeah, he got an upgrade to a small flat screen last year. Oh, so yeah. great. So how can you tell? Does he just more intently watch or like pay attention to it longer? Yeah, so they'll usually navigate like towards the screen, um, and then yeah, he's got this really cute like can can dance that he does, or they'll even Aww. like try to mimic right away like the sounds on oh, there. Very cool. Obviously, it's it's not. Uh, precise right away, but he'll try to mimic something of it, and you can just see in his behavior he's bouncing up and down. Um, a lot of our birds really like the movies. It's funny. Does Harley like movies? He Do likes. We need to get Harley a flat screen. I, I, I think so. He actually really enjoys uh, watching people out in the rainforest. We'll have him out for training in the education rainforest, um, and then he'll just sit and watch all the people and the kids walk up, and he'll dance with them. He loves doing that. Um, mm -hmm. Anything you forage with too, he loves. 
yeah, we make boxes with shredded paper or cardboard chips or anything, and he knows now there's likely food in there, so he'll just go all the way in. Um, <laughs> last week, he was completely in a, a um, grocery bag, just full <laughs> in. You could only see tail feathers, and he was just deep searching for some snacks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. You mentioned like how strong their beaks are and they can crack nuts. And that's one of the reasons when people ask me like what animals make me the most nervous. And I always think of like the Kia or parrots and their beaks and like I have a hard time reading them. I know there's something with their pupils and you can tell that. Can one of you explain that to us? Like maybe how you can tell if a bird is annoyed or doesn't like someone because they are picky with mm -hmm. certain people. Yeah. yeah, they are very picky. Um, there's actually a bird in our department who's not a huge fan of me. Um, it's our big hyacinth macaw. So if you want to talk about beak strength, that's the ticket right there. Um, hyacinths, they break open palm nuts and it's this giant nut that is the size of a golf ball. So you can imagine the beak strength on there. Um, and I know Rio is not a huge fan of me, and I don't take offense to it, that's fine. Um, and his behavior shows it, so he'll do things like maybe if I'm, uh, I walk too close to his home, or if I make a movement that's too quick, or just even being in his area when he's trying to focus on training with another person, um, he'll eye pin at me, which is kind of hard to see, so it's when their eyes kind of shrink down like a camera lens, and then they can open back up. His eyes are super dark, so... I don't want to be close enough to look at that, really. <laughs> um, but, you know, the other thing, too, they'll give you lots of warnings. Uh, they will fluff their feathers up. They may open up their beak. Um, if you're way too close, they could even lunge, which is not, like, super great. Uh, luckily, though, we spend a lot of time reading those behaviors, especially with the people that know them best and that they're most comfortable with. So I'm never usually within lunging range, um, but we, we still build our relationship. So even though he's not a huge fan of me, when he does present those nice calm moments, that's when I walk by with a hazelnut or an almond or something. And um, it's definitely improved over the last few months, which has been great. Well, that's good. Yeah, yeah. I think it's yeah. so interesting getting to know our animals and figuring out like something that the public or even just someone else that doesn't work with that animal might not notice. Or they might think they're seeing one behavior and they're happy or it means they're excited mm -hmm. and they're like, right. yeah. it actually means the exact opposite. But yes. if you don't work with those animals, like it's hard to know. Yeah, they're they so like... different to read versus a mammal. Right. Um, it definitely takes a lot of practice. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. And even individual to individual, like I have worked with previous macaws and coming here and learning Harley's tells are different. I mean, generally same body language, but um, some things that would be a comfort sign for other macaws I've worked with, for him can be more of a warning or fear or something mm. like that. So it's also so individual based, especially yeah. with how intelligent they are. It's right. just yeah. really, really small cues sometimes. This may not be something you can answer, but is there, do you think there's a reason they pick someone? Like, I'm sure you've never done anything to real. Is it like, <laughs> no, they decide um... that they don't like someone or that they really do like you? Like, do you think Harley really prefers the two of you, Sarah and Ellen, like over other trainers? And is there anything specific you did that they didn't do or? It's a lot of just relationship building. I know Harley wasn't my biggest fan when we first started together, but the more treats I gave him and the more time I spent just like interacting with him or doing some of his favorite things like dancing or whatever that might be, that really helped build our relationship. Well, and especially with how long they live and if they're coming from a pet environment, you don't know what history they have with someone That's who looks point. like that. So you can kind of pick up on, sometimes it's as simple as a girl with blonde hair. Any girl with blonde hair comes through and aggressive behaviors. And sometimes it's more general and you can't figure out what the what the reason is. But that's a hard thing about them coming and not knowing their history is you don't know how they were treated or what used to set them mm -hmm. off. That's always a humbling experience as a keeper. I think I'm sure we've all had that experience where, for whatever reason, 
Sometimes you know it, sometimes you have no clue. The animal just doesn't like you. And right. just kind of learning how to navigate that. Sometimes it is about relationship building and mm -hmm. spending more time. And other times, sometimes you just have to accept it. And you're yeah. like, you know yeah. what? I'm just going to let the other keepers handle this one because this isn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're going to talk about the specific training like story that we want to share today. But will you guys first tell us a little bit about any of the behaviors that other behaviors that Harley and Reggie know um, or things that are helpful? Are there any cool medical things you've done with them that's helpful for the vets to work with them since they can be, you know, picky about the people they like? Yeah, so for Reggie, um, he's kind of had some varying jobs on and off throughout the year, but one of his main things that he really likes to do, he's got some vocalizations that he loves. Um, so he'll, he'll do those, and then he has a couple other things, like he knows, um, like a basic recycling or dollar bill routine, whatever you want to know. You can hand him something, um, and he'll take it and put it in a certain container. So I think that's a lot of fun for him. Anything where he can grab stuff okay. is, is pretty fun. Um, something that we're just starting working on with Reggie is, since Reggie has been here for so long and has had some interesting behavioral patterns, we're trying to get lots of data from him every few weeks with the vets. Um, and sometimes that includes them um, going under anesthesia. And for a bird, it can be really challenging. So one thing we can do, um, there's nasal drops that we can put in, and it kind of like halfway does the job for oh. you. Um, it can be really challenging, though, and just like with any medical procedure with an animal, it's to be like, hey, can you let me put this syringe mm. in your nares and put this liquid in? <laughs> I remember when we um, started with COVID tests, I was terrified. Like, yeah, exactly. I don't know, put it in my nose. I'm scared. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and so it's, it's kind of newer for our birds, um, but we're just starting working on it with a couple birds. And with Reggie, it would be a huge benefit benefit because he gets some of the most frequent visits from the vets just to keep recording his data um, and that would be huge so we're just starting there but right now it also looks like a syringe that might have medicine to lick so um, making that distinction between the two behaviors is kind of where we're at right now that makes sense yeah, yeah. I wonder if you can color one in certain colored tape or something yeah. exactly yeah <laughs> they're super visual so that could be a great idea yeah, um, Harley knows a ton of behaviors, which are great for programs. People are always impressed with just how he looks in general, but then when we start asking him things that they recognize, like, can you blow us a kiss? Can you give us a high five? Can you spin? Stuff like that that just shows intelligence, immediate recognition. It's really cool to see him do. And then we're working on some husbandry-type behaviors with he lets us do a nail trim, I guess nail dremel right now, and we're working on him allowing us to actually grip his nail and clip it. And then we're also working on towel restraint, which is, um, it will be really cool if we can get him there. I think we will. He's making a lot of progress. Right now we're to the point where he'll let the towel rest on his back and I can press my hand on his back. Um, we are not to the point where scooping and lifting or anything like that, but that one will be really helpful. That's really impressive, but will yeah. you go into that a little bit more and explain what you mean by towel restraint and yes. why you would need it? Yeah, so if a bird needs to get looked at more closely, you have to hold them um, in a way that is both safe for them and for the vets and for the person holding them. So with parrots, um, you can just hold with your hands, but something nice about the towel is you can potentially have their heads covered. Um, it's something that kind of just holds them rather than just hands, fingers. Um, it just feels like more encompassing. And then if you train it where it just feels like a comfortable, safe place, it doesn't feel like something that is scary and holding mm -hmm. you tight. It's just like 
uh, a little uh, weighted blanket, sort yeah. of. Yeah. <laughs> Thunder jacket. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, so it's just really helpful to get them comfortable with that pressure, with that holding, and then you can do different checks, keel checks, feet checks, anything like that. Um, and it's just a good base to work on um, other sort of health checks. Yeah, awesome. And then it's like that stressful behavior might become one day like a, a safe place, like you mentioned. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That would be so fun. Yeah, we're also working on syringe training with him, so for him to voluntarily take medicine and all sorts of stuff like that, hopefully we'll never have to use it, but <laughs> yeah, at least we'll have it in our back pocket. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of the training that we did, even before we started flight training, for him was just like confidence building um, and just like giving him more opportunities for um, choice. Um, so even just like when we have him out, he has learned that our hand is just kind of like a little joystick so he'll lean wherever he wants to go, and that's another great form of enrichment for him and for us. It's very entertaining. But Yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned the flight training, and we wanted to talk about that because you both have your own separate success stories that are really cool, and some people listening might be like, what do you mean? You had to train your birds to fly? And it doesn't, like, maybe... Maybe not everyone would just understand that. I don't really fully understand it. So um, I'm, I don't care which one wants to go first. But if you guys <laughs> want to tell us, like, maybe why the bird you're working with specifically wasn't originally always flying. And then we'll kind of get into how you trained that and how it happened. Yeah, that sounds good. Um, to the best of our knowledge with Harley, being a pet, he was likely in a smaller enclosure. And birds learn how to fly from parents they have to figure out instinctually how to take those steps um, to survive. And with a pet parrot that is raised in a smaller space, they never need to learn and they aren't being shown how. Mm. Um, So with Harley, knowing he had the capability to fly because sometimes when he would get spooked, he would jump in the air and then have to figure out how to get down. (laughs) Um, But it was not controlled and it was not a positive experience. So we knew he somewhere deep in his brain understood that his wings did stuff, but it was never a decision. So, um, it, it really just is, you have to teach them that flight is a way to move and it's a positive way to move. And we talked early on that if he showed signs of stress or that we were pushing it and he wasn't interested that we weren't going to continue, but he has repeatedly asked to like continue training sessions and has made such fast progress And it's just really cool to see him enjoying working on it. So where did that begin? How did you start it? What, like, reinforcers are you using? And how can you tell that he is choosing to participate? Yeah. Yeah, so beginning early stages was just, like, teaching a lean and just um, comfortability doing that. Um, You know, obviously... like leaning forward towards you? Leaning forward. So we had, like, two perches up, um, and he'd just kind of lean between each perch, and we'd slowly kind of um, work on distance that way until... That process took a long time before we got our first hop, but the mm. first hop was our biggest. We yeah. were like, yes, finally, <laughs> it finally happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the wings got more involved, and it was um, a great process. But yeah. lots of lots of treats and mm-hmm. um, social encouragement from us. Um. Yeah, it was months before he took his first like actual push off and use his wings. And we saw a little hint of it early because he did a really long lean and couldn't get his feet up. And he instinctually used his wings to stand up just from where he was gripping. 
And we're like, you're, you're staring at me? He's got it. <laughs> 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 do things. Yeah. Yeah. So that was really cool. That's awesome. I love that he loves the social encouragement. Like, that's yes. yeah. a reward <laughs> for him. We have yes. to also cheer quietly. Yes. Or we make him nervous. <laughs> 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 oh, my gosh. Yeah. And what, what treats are you using? Like, what's really motivating him to partake in these behaviors? It's awesome that he works for his entire diet. So we can oh, use cool. everything from pellet to produce to um, nuts. Awesome. Yeah. And he's learning that it's fun, too. So maybe yeah. it's, re- like, rewarding as he does yeah. it. Yes. Yeah, he'll do kind of his, like, whenever he's on our hand, he'll, when he sees the flight perches up, he'll kind of do his, like, happy wings is what we Aww. call them. And he'll just kind of, like, flap his wings excited next to his side and lean towards the perch. So that's been a way that we can tell, okay, he, he's getting something yeah. from this. You know, yeah. it seems to be something he enjoys. Yeah. So you started with a bird who never flew, at least in something that was observed here at the zoo in that sense. Um, and now how far does he fly and does he do it for programs or where are you at at this point? Yeah, so he flies, he can fly almost the length of the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, he's getting there, so that's pretty exciting. Um, and we've done a couple of programs with him, but we're hoping to work on bigger groups of people and just work on different, like, up and downs and just a little different nuances of flying right now. Is a part of it, um, like, the distance that he has to build up the muscle to be able to fly further? Yeah, that's been a huge part of it. Um, at the beginning, we were measuring with a tape measure, literal inches. Like, oh, he went two inches further today. That's so exciting. And now we put the perches wherever. We aren't paying attention as much to exactly how far he's going. Um, but also watching, like, just the speed he's taking off. Like, it used to be he just jumped up and then, like, actively flapped until he eventually <laughs> got there, and it was so loud and so slow. Like, we have a video where he enters frame and then leaves, and I would love to time it then yeah. and now, because now he's pushing off forward, like, he's moving himself forward, and then he's getting there, I feel like, in half the time. Mm-hmm. He's, you can see that muscle, and he is confident in straight flights. He's also confident up, down, we are still nervous. We're okay. still working on those mm-hmm. muscles. Interesting. Yeah. It must be so fun to see the progress, though. It is. And how often do you work with him? Like, is it three times a day, three times a week? Is this something you can do over and over? Is it too tiring for him? Yeah. No, we'll do probably flight, flight sessions probably once a day, okay. but then other um, sorts of enrichment and hanging out um, throughout the day. But, um, yeah, but it's also really cute. We thought maybe he'd grow out of it as he was learning to fly, but he talks the entire time he flies. What? Oh my so gosh. So he just makes these noises that sound ridiculous. Right. And we're like, okay, this is just, he's learning. It's his little pep talk to himself. Yeah. And then, okay, he's still doing it. All right, all right. So, yeah, if only he knew what he was saying. I know. Yeah. I can't imagine how difficult that is for a bird, though, right? I mean, you think about humans when you learn to walk. We're just kind of navigating like a two-dimensional space. And then they're navigating this three-dimensional space, all the extra muscle mass that that yeah. takes. Mm-hmm. That's credit to you guys and the time you put in. Credit to Harley, like, oh my god, that's impressive. You're right, because like he could have had a happy life without this, but you guys were adding right. to it, and it wasn't something you had to do. But you saw a little spark in him or something, right. and then you're like, let's see what he's capable of. Right, and the benefits just feel never ending. Besides exercise and health, it's also so mentally stimulating and just confidence that he can move where he wants instead of having to climb down and walk across or anything like that. We're waiting for his first flight where he just takes off somewhere because he wants to and not because we're cueing him. Mm. And we're so close. Yes. It's going to happen soon. Does so that excited. scare you or you're excited? Okay. <laughs> we just yes. that we're like, creating a the monster. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're very excited. Yeah, we're so excited. Yeah. A great monster. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's fun. Yeah. 
Okay, Carrie Ann, do you want to tell us about Reggie? I mean, he's been at the zoo for a long time now. Yes, he sure has. Um, so Reggie started um, his flight training experience a little bit different. So Reggie's been here for over four decades. Um, and from my understanding, has never really shown any interest. I've never seen, um, like, if maybe something spooks him, I've never seen him try to save himself uh, by <laughs> flapping his wings. He just goes down. <laughs> so, oh, my God. Uh, I was just like, man, I would love if I could just get a little bit, like, just a step, you know, just something in there. But he just never really showed it. So, um, Reggie kind of became our lunch buddy in the summer. So he would come out in the theater with us and just march around and look at the sky and get that enrichment for the day. Um, well, I had him out one afternoon, um, early in our season and he kind of started marching, which he does. It's really cute. <laughs> and then he marched a little <laughs> faster and then he was running and just took off. <laughs> um, I, I've never seen this bird get any lift ever. So um, you can imagine how surprised we were, were to you see. Were I mean, yes. we were outside. Yes, we were outside. There's no net. There's nothing. We were outside in an open theater, and he just goes up, and I'm like, he's flying right to the rhinos. Like, he's oh going to go. Oh, no. um, but luckily, he tried to catch himself on a perch that we already have set up um, for another flight pattern for another bird. He tried really hard to catch himself, but since he has never learned, he had no mechanics on landing, and he kind of... Um, tail spun and then landed on the ground it's only like five feet but he flew like 10 feet that day which again for a bird that's never flown was crazy so we kind of picked him up and we're like this is now like this is the time to do this so lunch is over we're yeah, training lunch is over uh, was he, there like anything different that day that you guys looked around and you're like oh there's a i don't know what he saw something scary going um, on now because if we have i mean obviously like we have native hawks and vultures and stuff sure. that flow or fly over and if reggie sees them he sounds the alarm he, we know that there's the hawk there reggie knows first um <laughs> you'll see him kind of turn his eye up to the sky and he looks up and he'll see that little tiny dot um, and they scream, and it's a terrible sound. Right? <laughs> um, it's ear-rattling. Ear it's very loud. So I don't know what he saw. I, I assume it wasn't something he was afraid of because he was going towards it. He was definitely <laughs> looking at something, uh, but I don't know what it was. So uh, we brought him inside. We kind of sat down and game-planned, and we're like, like, let's just try it. He's never offered it. And that is such a cool thing about animals getting to pick the job that is right for them. Reggie had never shown us that that was a job that he wanted before. Um, but now we saw they could do it. So uh, the very next day, we just started kind of the same way with Harley. It's really similar steps, um, two perches, if that's what they're comfortable with, and just stepping back and forth. And then those perches get a little further and a little further. Um, Reggie's confidence grew really quickly, which was awesome. Uh, his flights, why he did not talk like Harley does, they were very haphazardous. It kind of looked like someone was throwing a bird, not uh, not a controlled flight. He just was like, I know I have to go, but I don't know where. Um, so we really practice on landing because that's a huge, they have to land um, in a nice way. Hopefully. How do you practice that though? So we kind of started switching out um, the perch that he would land on with our hand because we could adjust that. We couldn't adjust oh, the perch. So if it sense. looked like he was falling short or he was going to overshoot, we had our hand that he could land on instead, mm -hmm. which is very movable. Um, we want it to be predictable where he's landing and we just started kind of swapping that in as much as we could. And he didn't seem to mind the difference, um, which is great because that opens a ton more flexibility. And then the distance just got a little further, a little further. That muscle started to build up. Um, and his confidence really, really grew. And then we started involving more members of the team in. Um, and I think it was just great. And then we got to the end of the room that we have to train in. And we're like, well, now what? Um, 
because I don't think he's ready oh, so for you're outside. Inside we're inside. Yep, okay. we're inside for all of this because to take a bird outside to fly is really a whole different ball game. It sounds terrifying. Um, it is because they can go wherever they want, whenever they want. Um, and there's like wind and other factors. Oh yeah, there's there's wind. The um, I mean, there's guests in the zoo. There's vehicles. There's also other animals. There's all sorts of different things. Um, so the next thing we started to do, we have this really uh, nifty kind of ladder thing in our um, training room, and then we started on up downs, which is oh, basically. Okay. Um, We'll ask Reggie to fly up and then back down, and we can slowly increase um, kind of the angle that he's doing it to a sharper angle, because if he gets blown off course outside or he lands in a tree or somewhere that he's not familiar, he has to be able to get yeah. back down. Like, mm -hmm. if we want it to be a positive experience and give him that confidence and that choice, he's got to be able to land that. And he started doing those, like, spectacularly. He was great at them. Um, and then, I don't know, it changed for a little bit, and he decided, like, oh, I'd rather just go straight. Um, <laughs> but then he, he got back on, on board, and then once we saw that he could confidently go up and down and land on a hand or a perch, then we took it outside, and that was a day. I'm sure we were all super nervous. Um, it was kind of all hands on deck the first time we take a bird outside like this. He's been outside a million times, but not since he had flown. Um, not like that anymore. <laughs> right. So we have these really nice portable perches that we can just stick in the ground at whatever distance. Um, and we started with those pretty close to each other, um, and no hesitation. He went right where we called him to, um, and we run him for his whole diet, just like just like Harley does. He loves dehydrated fruit, sweets again, so <laughs> that's a huge reinforcer. Okay. Um, if it's fresh produce, he's probably a little less likely to work for that. Uh, but yeah, then we worked on building distance, and then we had the first time that Reggie missed the perch. Oh. Uh, and that's always really interesting to see what they choose to do there. Um, and it will kind of gauge the confidence level that your bird has. So he missed, and instead of like flying down and stopping, he actually went up, <laughs> and um, like towards the middle of the theater, towards that very original perch that he saw, they tried to land on just on the other side of our theater. Um, and he almost had it again, but he was just missing. He just oh, no. fell short just a tiny bit and landed in the flower bed. Um, <laughs> Do you think going up though was a sign of confidence? I think it was. Okay. I think um, he missed and he immediately looked for somewhere else and that was the first place he saw that looks like it was a place to land. Um, but the great thing about that is we stepped him back up and we went right back to it and he continued like nothing happened. And that shows a confident bird. That mm -hmm. shows a bird that is enjoying what they're doing and and feels good about it. Um, if he would have shown any hesitation, we just want to backpedal mm -hmm. a few steps to build that confidence back up. Um, so we're hopeful. It's been all winter now, so we haven't mm -hmm. got to go outside much, but we've been still flying inside. Um, he can fly the length of almost any indoor place that we can put him. Uh, so we're hoping this summer he will show that off to some guests. I was wondering, will he be flying in the show now? That's what we're hoping for. Okay. Again, it's a whole different ball game when um, it's four people that he knows out there and he's flying. And then when there's 800 people seated yeah. um, and there's kids and, you know, ponchos, umbrellas, all sorts of anything you could think of that people bring in. Um, so that's going to be another big test for Reggie because that's nothing that we can imitate here. We right. can't just randomly pull 800 people into the theater to sit <laughs> down. So... I'm really curious to see what he does, but um, it's been great for his, his mental health, his behavior. Um, the feather pulling stuff that we saw is almost virtually gone. He looks like a totally different bird. He looks like this like confident, healthy bird, which Aww. for an almost 50-year-old bird, um, and to have that big of a change has just been amazing. Cockatoos are really notorious for um, getting in behavioral patterns and not being able to break the okay, cycle. So and Reggie broke it himself. Yeah, he decided awesome. to do it, and we just followed his lead. So 
Uh, it's been super cool. Do you think it's, it's like the amazing. exercise and the mental stimulation that like broke him? I mean, I know that he started to fly on his own, but like that broke it that just keeps him busier or something. Yeah. Or what do you think that is? I think part of it's that because it's also really obvious when he doesn't want to fly. So if he doesn't want to fly, we'll offer his other behaviors. He knows, you know, some vocalizations, like we said, he can spin. He does a really cute hop down his perch. Um, so if he's not in the mood, we give him the choice to do something else. So I think him kind of like Harley getting this choice now of all these other options, whereas before, for whatever reason, it, it just wasn't as appealing, but now it is. Um, I think that has been it. Like, it's a huge tipping scale. It's just like we let him out onto the playground, and now he knows there's a playground, so um, he can go whenever he wants, which I is think great. it's so fun, especially his age. Like, all of a sudden, yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know, it's like me turning 80 and deciding I want to run marathons. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, I could have done it my whole life, but yeah. I'm going to try it. <laughs> Yeah, that's so awesome. it's really cool to see where he's going to go now. That's awesome. Did Harley have any of those, like, oh, what did I just do moments or, like, go off the rails a little bit? or We've had overshoots often, especially when we're working on down because it is a different set of muscles that he is trying to figure out, and he will sometimes overshoot, but it has been so cool to see when he used to miss it was messy. Like, he did not have much control, and now that he has muscle and confidence in himself, if he overshoots, he'll either kind of flap in place until we get our fingers under <laughs> him, yeah. or he'll confidently swoop around and land on the carpet. So it's amazing that in training this, he's also able to problem solve faster yeah. and mm -hmm. safely land somewhere. So those have been obviously things we don't want, but it's so nice to see him handling them really right. well. Yeah. Is there awesome. any chance or, like, a goal of yours to get him outside? Uh, I think I, eventually, for yeah. sure, that'd be amazing. Um, he is definitely more sensitive to sounds and okay. uh, visual things, so I think, like, a big group of people is probably, like, the next big step Okay. Um, before bringing him outside and, like, the wind and all the <laughs> uncontrolled environments <laughs> yeah. out there. But I we, we have started trying occasionally in a covered space that is enclosed okay. and he is just observing a lot he's done a few flights he has um yeah. but yeah he's got he's got some more um desensitizing to <laughs> do but i think that's like one of the best parts of getting a bird outside for the first time is they like just giving them the opportunity to look around yes. and to soak it all up like that in itself can be so reinforcing for them mm -hmm. um and it's more things they have to navigate a plane going overhead uh, we have hospitals nearby so the helicopter is going by like getting that exposure, seeing what they do, and just letting them figure it out, and you're there as a safety net, mm -hmm. um, is one of my favorite parts. It's really reinforcing for me, if you mm -hmm. can't tell. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, I was going to ask you, and I don't know if you, either of you might also have the experience, but with the open theater and flying birds outside on a daily basis for you, Carrie Ann, like, a lot of yours are veterans now, and they know what they're doing, and yes. they've been doing this for years, but like, what... What sign do they give you that you know, okay, this is safe to do this? Or what would you have to see from Harley to know, like, okay, we're going to go outside where there's literally nothing keeping them here with me? Is it a very specific, like, bond? Or I'm even thinking, like, dogs off leash. Like, you can, like, I've had one dog where I know she would turn around and listen and come back, and I had another dog that there's no way he would have returned. Like, <laughs> yeah. something he wanted to see, like, he wouldn't have just come back because I called. Yeah, I mean, that that is tough because it is kind of, you know, individualized to each bird. Um, but the biggest things, I think, for me, what I'm looking for, for before a bird goes outside is that confidence, um, being able to fly up and down, 
and stopping <laughs> and catching yourself, which is great. Um, and then we just, we take it really, really slow and we try to pick an area that they're really familiar with, that the people that they work for best are present for that or are the ones doing the training session ideally. Um, and then we kind of keep it short and sweet and then it just builds a little bit, a little bit. And then there's always, like I said with Reggie, there's gonna always be that point where it doesn't go how you planned it. And you have that split second to make it a not negative experience or as least you know negative, as most positive as you can get out of it. And I think that is a huge, um, point there and then just making sure that your reinforcers are good and for some birds it's the human that they're mm -hmm. with and some birds it's the food um, some birds it's the safety of being on the handler's hand um, so I think it depends on each bird but I think keeping it short sweet and as positive as you can and then just building from there makes a huge difference and if we go out and it's just a mess uh, that can mean a bird in a tree for hours or overnight um, we also fly a flock of 16 pigeons, <laughs> so that's really fun to train for as well. Um, and you can't look at an individual sign for each pigeon. That it's a, I was going to say, flock. tell us a little bit about that. How do you... Oh boy, it's so fun. <laughs> um, it's like the most fun and stressful time because yeah. it's like 16 toddlers that fly wherever they want. So we, again, we start really small. We make sure that um, we've got good reinforcers, which for them it's their diet. Um, I was going to and... say, because you don't, they don't necessarily have like individual time with you guys more they're more of a flock right correct. like they aren't like bonded as much as reggie would be to you correct and the pigeons they don't fly to hands or whatever they know their home uh they know the crates really well so they crate themselves and that's another big part um they have a limited time to come into the crate to get a reinforcer and if they don't come in then we skip for that flying session they get another chance in the afternoon um but if they're not really going into that crate super confidently and super quick probably not going to fly them that day okay. because um, when they're out, again, they are out. They fly. They go. The wind is blowing. Uh, we actually do a pretty difficult flight with them. Uh, they are released from crates at the bottom of the stage, and then they have to do a big loop up and land all the way in their coop at the top of the roof. How so... do you train that? Like, when they come out from the bottom, how do they know where it is oh, at the Oh, yeah. Top? So we make a big jump. Um, but we start with that crating process, and then it's just releasing them in their outdoor enclosed area in the crates and seeing, like, this is what happens when you go here. And then we go to the doorway with the door open and then we go one foot back and five foot back and we keep going um, to make sure because the other fun thing with pigeons is if like two go off the rest follow so mm -hmm. then you have 16 birds out. <laughs> <laughs> really fun really fun um, but we go as far back as we can on the roof and we try to mimic the curve that we assume they're going to fly in to get to their home on the roof and then once we're at the edge of the roof, we really make sure everyone knows how to get home. We want them to land in trees. We want them to be on top of the coop, on top of our tarps. We want them to land everywhere and just know where to go. Um, they have bright red feeders that have their reinforcer for when they land. Um, so it's very easy for them to see that our roof is white. Okay, so, it so it's maybe out. like you mm -hmm. kind of just, I mean, maybe I'm completely wrong, but you let them out. They just fly up. And eventually they notice this reinforcer and yes. then they notice, they learn the pattern eventually. Correct. Like that first and time when we looking for home, essentially. Essentially, yeah. And when we start out, they can see those feeders straight from the crate. So they know where those are. We feed them there every day, whether they fly or not. So it's, we really drive home. This is the place that we eat and we're safe. Okay. Um, and once we get to the edge of the roof, uh, yeah, we, we go down the bottom of the stage. There's really no... Um, middle ground for that <laughs> and that is the fun one because it just looks like pigeons explode and they go everywhere and everyone forgets that they've done this for 10 years and, uh, kind of everyone goes everywhere and then the seasoned veterans they make it home and then the other ones kind of start to look and they're like well 
like, yeah, I think I'll go there too. And then they all go and sometimes they, we have a few that stay out overnight and usually we come in in the morning, uh, right before the sun comes up and they're sitting on top of their home, like, please let me in. <laughs> uh, and, and they learn it really quickly. And then once they have it, they're pretty solid. Okay. So, um, that's really fun. To yeah, do. that sounds fun. Flocks are great. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're saying like, you just take these little steps outside. I'm like, but no. Once you're outside, you're outside. You're out there. Yeah. Like, what do you mean little steps? But right. yeah, this yeah. sounds like the relationships are really important. Yeah, yeah, and giving them every tool in their toolbox they can possibly mm-hmm. have, and considering natural history, different species, and where you might fly them. Um, Did you guys say um, where Harley's, well, blue and gold calls are from? We, I don't think we said that. Or can you tell us and tell us how big a blue and gold macaw is? How big they are? Yes. Their body is about a foot. And their tail is another foot say, and yeah. half. They're <laughs> so much bigger than Reggie, but maybe. Oh, yeah. And do you know their weights? Because they're a lot. Li- birds are usually a lot lighter than people assume. Mm-hmm. So do you guys? Know yeah. So or? we weigh um, almost all of our birds almost every single day, and Reggie sits uh, right on around four hundred grams, so a pound or less. Um, he's super, super light. So little. What about Harley? He's around a thousand grams. Okay. So, yep. Yeah, and they are from South America. Okay. Um, yeah, and Harley. I don't know what it translates to in pounds. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, if it's about a thousand grams, it's like what five hundred grams is about a pound. Mm-hmm. So, so right around two pounds. Pounds. Okay, so small, but well, two pounds. When you look at them, people might guess like five. Or yeah, more. they yeah, never. Yeah. They always overshoot. Even yeah. the really big owls and like the bald eagle that we have, people are like, "That's thirty pounds." I'm like, "I'm so strong." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm like, usually it's five or six pound bird, which is crazy. Um, before we get into trivia, I wanted to ask. Oftentimes, parrots have a lot of struggles in the wild because of habitat loss or poaching or for the legal pet trade or that sort of thing. Do you know the biggest issues for each of your species that we've been talking about? Or um, is it a combination of all of those things? Are they endangered? Do you know that information? Yeah, I think it is a mix. Um, You know, of all the birds in the world that need the most help from people, it is parrots. because again, the illegal pet trade is especially that is mm. huge. Um, people see the you know on YouTube or whatever they'll see these parrots talking or doing these really cute, funny interactions, but they only see that thirty second mm-hmm. clip, and so then people run out and they want a parrot in their home. Um, and it is a completely different ballgame when you have an animal like that in your home all the time, twenty four seven. You know their schedule is really precise. They need a certain amount of sleep. They need a certain amount of you know, special vitamins and minerals and foods and things like that. So um, I think people don't quite get that. And then um, birds like that get rehomed constantly. Right. If you're getting this as a 30-year-old human, they're mm-hmm. going to outlive you. So yeah. then you have yes. to find them a new home and they've already found their favorite person. And I'm sure mm-hmm. it's then they're even more destructive for their next owner. Or, it is. Uh, and they're so relationship-focused um, that the bird has no understanding really of what has happened or why their person that you know, they may have even considered their mate is gone. Um, so I think that is a huge thing, especially for, like, macaws, um, mm-hmm. if you guys have anything else to add on it. But they're big and beautiful and colorful, and sometimes they mimic. Um, so it is a huge draw for people that don't quite know what they're getting into. Um, and there's a huge difference here. Not only do we have professionals caring for them and all the nutrients and all the enrichment and training and everything that they need, but they kind of have other birds and animals around them that'll likely, you know, I'm sure Reggie can see a certain other bird living in the bird oh, show, yeah. and mm-hmm. they have, even if they're not a flock, they have some sort of, like, comfort seeing yeah. one another, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, in um, our building, there are people walking through all the time. We have Harley right at the front now, and people talk to him, and it's really fun to see. <laughs> He's <laughs> like, I get attention all yeah. day long. Yeah. And if you have just a parent at home and you go to work, there's at least 10, 8 to 10 hours mm-hmm. a day that they are alone. So mm-hmm. there's just a difference, and we definitely don't suggest having a parent as a pet yeah, here. Yeah. The stat I had heard once was that they're the third most common pet, but they're the number one most rehomed. Wow. I yeah. D- I'm actually even surprised that the the third most common, and that's even I scarier. I wonder if that but adjusts, like, somewhere in the top five, but mm-hmm. number yeah. one rehomed, re-homed yeah. seems to be consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. it's amazing because we have people, you know, during our meet and greets, they'll come up and they'll be like, oh, I used to have one of these, mm-hmm. or, like, I want one, or I have one, and um, it's amazing how many there are um, just here in the tri-state from people who have told us. And, again, um, it is it's not like a cat or dog. They bond with people differently. They have different needs. They're very expensive to take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we always recommend you come to the zoo and see them. If you want to see some really amazing birds, uh, we have them. So definitely yeah. come check them out here. Yeah. And speaking of, I would say if any of you listeners are wondering like what these kind of training sessions and flight sessions look like, we do have some really cool videos on the zoo's social media page. Definitely check those out. And if listeners did want to come see your birds, where could they see Harley? Where could they see Reggie? Like. Oh, yeah, so um, Harley, you know, we're working up to programs, but um, we've done a couple uh, school, like, zoo troop programs and stuff like that. He does a lot of stuff with education, um, but his window time where he likes to just watch people in the rainforest is a pretty common occurrence, so yeah. you can always stop by the rainforest, you may see him. <laughs> Head to the education center rainforest. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and so for us, um, our programs start Memorial Day weekend, and then we run through uh, mid-September, I think, this year, so not too far off. Um, so people can always come see our birds there. Our shows run uh, Wednesday through Sunday, twice a day. And then during the rest of the time, we're kind of just out in the park randomly. We don't have, um, like, a habitat that you can specifically come visit. Uh, but if you walk around, you're probably going to run into one of us with a bird. So uh, we go everywhere that's safe for them in the zoo. That's awesome. And you guys do school programs where you go out, right? Yeah, we're super busy with those right now. So uh, a lot of people wonder what we do when we're not um, having our programs in the summer, but we're doing programs all year round. And Mm -hmm. it's really neat because then we get to take the birds to places that are novel or new. And then that's a whole nother set of variables to deal with. Oh, yeah. Has Reggie done that yet? He has. He's gone to a couple. um, And he's done pretty good. And he's done some programs here on ground. Um, it's definitely a big day for him, when we do that. <laughs> but he's doing great. And I really think that, um, he's just going to keep going up. He's doing awesome and he's really cute. So people love him. Yeah. And I'm sure it's really rewarding for visitors and guests and anyone who can experience those encounters. It's for really sure. rewarding for them to see those birds in that way. Yeah. yeah. Well, before we get into trivia, is there anything else you guys wanted to add that we didn't touch on that you want our listeners to hear or know about? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I think uh, the biggest thing is, like, if you do manage to see us in the park, um, stay by and hang out and watch the training and ask the trainers the questions um, that you want to know. Ask what they're doing and, and all that. I think it's it's really nice for us to get the chance to tell people how we break down training and show it. Um, and then you might just get looped into our training session oh, with us. So <laughs> we do that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't touch on this and just really quickly. I don't know how much you guys do, but... Um, you guys have been doing flights with Taracos out in the public, right? Do you Are you guys a part of that? I don't yeah. know if it's the whole team thing or yeah, if you guys yeah. have specific trainers, but while you might not get to see Harley this summer, is there a chance you could tell them about um, like when they might be able to see a Taraco or if just there's a chance in general? Yeah, we do um, outdoor flights with one of our Taraco Zulu. 
Um, so one of her favorite spots to f do flying um, flight sessions is the, in the bamboo forest next to the Red Panda area. Mm. I haven't um, seen that yet. I really want to see oh, it. yeah, you've got to come It's very cool. It. Is there a specific time or is it just like there's no guarantee with it's this? It's really random. Um, depending on weather, obviously we need a little warmer weather for her, but it could be morning, afternoon. Um, as she eases into things, it might be more in the morning before it's completely packed. But okay. she's pretty resilient. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. That is cool. Well, I appreciate all the hard work you guys are doing to make so many animals happy. And uh, obviously, like, all of, all zookeepers, or most zookeepers, are happy to talk to the public and want to educate and, like, share our excitement about our animals with the guests. But you guys are, like, specifically the teams that are out there to educate. And, like, so if you see an interpreter or an <laughs> ambassador animal keeper or um, someone from the bird show or the cheetah encounter, they're usually the ones that are more than happy to talk to people <laughs> and want to share. So if you mm -hmm. see animals out and about with keepers, um, definitely stop and ask your questions. Yes, yeah, definitely. Sure. It takes a special keeper to be willing to do the education portion of things. So yeah. it's yeah. super fun. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, awesome. well, let's see how much um, <laughs> I can embarrass myself. I say this every week because Mark always has ridiculous questions. Oh don't feel any pressure. I don't know what kind of questions he has today. Sometimes they're just ridiculous. So. We've got pretty quick trivia day. We okay. might have four questions lined up if y'all okay. are in for it. All let's right. do it. All right, we'll kick it off. Obviously, we're talking about the cockatoo, the macaw. We're talking about parrot species. So this is a parrot trivia question, trivia oh session today. So question number one we've got, just for starters, how many species of parrots are there? So I think a lot of people, it's kind of a misconception. People would hear the word parrot, and they're like, oh, it's a parrot's a parrot, right? Obviously, we at this table know. There's many different species. You guys have a guess on how many there are. Gosh, I knew this at one point. Did you? I, I don't know. I'm probably going to guess wrong, but I feel like it's right under 400. <gasps> what? I could be way over. 400 for Carrie Ann? I'm going to, yeah, go between 375 and 400, because it also depends who you ask. That's, that is a very, yeah, very <laughs> So I'm going to put that in as my lot. I'm going to randomly say 237. Wow. Okay, <laughs> 237 from Sarah. Oh Ellen? gosh, I don't know. 250. 250. <laughs> well, I, I press all of them so much more, but like if I'm being honest, I probably would have guessed like 60. Yeah. So that's incredible. Carrie Ann's actually spot on with this wow. one. It's, I mean, we can get into the exact specifications of what a species is. That that might be a whole episode in and of itself, but <laughs> depending on how you define species, there's right around 375. There are so wow. many animals I don't know about. Oh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Just, just cockatoos alone, we mentioned... Uh, you know, Reggie's species, there's about 21 species of cockatoo alone. So many. And I won't lie, like, I wouldn't have necessarily considered a cockatoo a parrot in my head. Like, I would have said cockatoo, even though it makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and a lot of people do that, too. They'll mm -hmm. come up and uh, they'll say, like, oh, this is a cockatoo, not a parrot, or this is a Amazon, not a parrot. They're just all under the same umbrella. But they are so unique, and they all look so mm -hmm. different. So I, I don't blame people for not knowing which what, is which. So it's like a lorikeet, a type of parrot? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, so, you, like, I have them... Um, Okay, yeah. anyways. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. Okay. All right, question number two. We talked at length about, you know, why parrots in general, macaws, cockatoos, why they're bad pets. One of the things we mentioned was their lifespan, right? Like, it, you're signing up for a lot when you're agreeing to take care of one of these birds. What is the lifespan of a hyacinth macaw? Carrie and Kansas. Yeah. I know, I, sh I should be quiet, I guess. <laughs> I think it's probably around 70, I'm That's guessing. I, yeah. I would say 80. 80, Carrie Ann, do you have a guess? 
I usually say between 50 and 70 years. Dang it. Yeah, everything I saw, anything from 50 to 70 is the estimates you see, yeah. Is it common the larger the parrot, the less... Usually, okay. yeah. So, kind of, that's how those little parrots like Amazons, African greys, cockatoos, they live as long as a human or longer. Um, they just seem to, to live a little bit longer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just like little dogs typically live longer than large dogs. Exactly. Yeah. Jenna, the eternal optimist. She's always high. On I love it. I love it. I'm all for it. But no, Jenna's always great. high on her license. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And maybe at the Cincinnati Zoo, you know, with the healthcare yeah, and exactly. veterinary yes. care we have here. Yeah, and the exercising. And Putting that out yeah. there for real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he appreciates it, I'm yeah. sure. All right. Third up, we got... The record for the largest vocabulary in a parrot. This one is funny because, Jenna, we've actually had this question before. <laughs> so, so I'm testing you listeners at home. I'm testing Jenna extra today. The record for the largest vocabulary of a parrot is from Puck, who is a blue parakeet. How many words did Puck know? What episode was I? I'm going to go back and <laughs> see how wrong I am this It's time. been months. It's been months. <laughs> I'm probably going to way overshoot it. I'm going to say 300. 300 words? Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. I'm going to say 400. 400 from Sarah Ellen? Oh, man, I was thinking like 200 or less. <laughs> 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 yeah. Jenna, you have a guess? <laughs> I remember Puck. I do. I remember now that you say that. I don't remember the answer. Um, 350. You guys are all way low on this one. Oh, no. Puck, Puck is an impressive bird. Puck knew 1,728 no. different words. Is there proof words. of this? Wow. It's I in wanna... the Guinness World Records, so. Wow. I wonder how long it took to, like, record that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is there a video on this? Wow, that's really impressive. That is. Puck's an impressive bird. And he said he was a parakeet? He was a blue parakeet. Yeah, so it's yeah. so funny you mentioned that because a lot of people think, like, parakeets or like cockatiels and stuff like aren't good talkers but obviously some of them can be which i think is super fun sometimes to mm-hmm. figure yeah, out yeah definitely all right last question here one of my favorite parrots that ever existed i was very fond of this parrot as a kid in aladdin jafar's <laughs> sidekick is a red lorry what is his name you guys better get this right you always say it yeah, yeah, go for it. Iago. Iago, yeah. <laughs> slowly becoming one of Lincoln's favorite movies. He <laughs> <laughs> watches movies, I was like, I better not. <laughs> does Rio watch uh, Rio? Rio? Or, we, does Rio, does Rio. Does Rio watch Rio? <laughs> he does. Um, no, I don't think Aladdin is one we have, uh, but we just got access to Disney Plus, so we'll put it on yeah. the list. Man, really nice. those birds are lucky. <laughs> I gotta share my account with somebody, so oh, might sure. as well be the birds. <laughs> I think I use my Disney Plus mainly for our birds. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. That's awesome. I want to be a bird. Okay. <laughs> Thank you guys for being troopers and getting through trivia. Jenna, yeah. do we have anything else? Any other questions? Yes, so we want to finish episode with a what can I do and you guys take care of all sorts of birds and because we've done quite a few episodes at this point we've covered a lot of what can I do is regarding birds um, and we've mentioned obviously throughout the episode that we do not recommend getting parrots as pets um, we discussed that with Eddie I believe mm-hmm. but um, what would you guys say what can I do one of my favorite talking points I love working with birds I'm a bird nerd but especially raptors one of my favorite talking points to bring up is rodenticides and not using them, finding other things to help decrease rodent populations if you are struggling with them. One of the best things you could have is local raptors. So by using rodenticides, you're reducing the number of raptors or birds of prey 
in your environment and they're so important for keeping those prey species in check. So if you are giving, if you're using rodenticides and then that animal is a little weaker or they're running around erratically, they're going to get predator's attention or they're just going to be really easy prey. And then that bird of prey eating that rodent will kill them. It also can be a food chain link. So mm -hmm. if a screech owl eats a poisoned mouse and then a hawk eats that screech owl or something, if you go up the chain, it can affect more than just that rodent and even more than one predator. Um, there are different studies about how much it can affect um, reptiles, but depending on the rodenticides, it can affect snakes. I was just thinking snakes, cats, yeah. I mean, hopefully there aren't too many yeah. cats running around, but... And um, some of the common ones they've seen it in, besides birds of prey, are like coyotes or bobcats really? okay. or something like that. Um, and the numbers for birds that are tested and have rodenticide in their system is really high. It's really concerning. It's a really big problem for birds of prey. Um, and there are some options to not use those besides just like catch and release traps. Um, having, or I guess encouraging raptors to live in your area, putting up nest boxes or even like easy perches for them to sit up and hunt from. Things like that are going to help keep your rodent population down. Which but, is so bizarre, right? Or like ironic or whatever. Yes. People are, they want to get rid of the rodents, but by killing them with, you know, poison, they're actually killing yes. the animals that also yeah. will help them naturally exactly. get rid of these rodents. Right. And it's hard. I think it's sometimes hard to get people to connect when you talk about them killing um, snakes or pest species. Um, but people really resonate with birds of prey and owls and that tends to be a way that people connect with it a little bit more. Obviously, we tell people that snakes help keep rodent populations in check as well, um, but it just doesn't drive people right. to yeah. um, protect them as much as cute little owls. Cartoon owls are everywhere. People mm -hmm. just connect with them. And um, one stat that I find really interesting is a family of barn owls can kill anywhere from a thousand to three thousand rodents a year wow, feeding themselves wow. and barn owls because they focus so much on rodents whereas some other species of owls are more generalist they'll go for um, fish or reptiles as well um, barn owls get hit by it really really hard so in yeah like you said in trying to reduce your rodent population you're getting rid of the best um, way to prevent them. Mm. And there's like obviously many different ways. Poison is terrible. Sticky traps are terrible. Right. There's so mm. many things. But if you have to find a way to get rid of a rodent population and the catch and release isn't an option, um, I have these really cool things you plug in and it's like a little nightlight essentially, but it supposedly emits like a sound that we can't hear. It doesn't affect your pets at home and can keep mice away. Um, I mean, I used it years and years ago and because we had like one mouse and plugged it in and never had an issue af wow. after that um so i personally believe they work i've yeah. moved houses since then so i don't know if it's just something but we lived there for years after that and it worked 
and and then worst case not worst case worst best case would just be like a really humane quick like snap right. trap that mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah isn't fun and to it's deal with. not a topic that is talked about as much um one of the best ways to prevent using rodenticides is people understanding the impact and a lot of times when we talk about them in programs people are just completely unaware mm -hmm. so they want to help their ecosystem and they don't even realize that they're affecting it so much yeah so. i'm really glad you brought up rodenticides because we've talked on this show we've talked about herbicides we've talked about pesticides all this different kind of stuff and all of it is poison right it all accumulates in the ecosystem especially the farther the food chain you go up um, so it's really important, but I, don't, I think you're right. I think this one issue particularly, it tends to kind of slide under the radar for whatever yeah. reason. It's really important, yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because it doesn't just affect um, predators catching live prey, scavengers too, once that mm -hmm. animal passes. It's not like, okay, they die, they just disappear, they're not a problem anymore. They're going to get cleaned up somehow. So yeah, that, that poison is getting into the ecosystem one way or another. Mm -hmm. Ma'am. Stop the use of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It really has a bigger effect than people know. Yeah. So, yeah. great one. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you, ladies, for being here. This is a great it episode. So much yeah. <laughs> I'm really proud of all the training you guys are doing. So, keep it up, and hopefully, Mark and I will make time to come see all of this yes. training this summer. Please do. Yes. Definitely. Yeah. Kudos, kudos to all you guys and all the kudos. work you do. Kudos. Kudos are always on my mind. You know that. But kudos to you guys, all the great work you do with your birds. I know you guys are giving those birds the best life you possibly can. So, love hearing about it. But thank you all for, at home for listening to another episode. Until next time, have a great day.